This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal News Network's open season hotline. Today's question, can I suspend my federal employee health benefits plan to use TRICARE, TRICARE for Life, or CHAMP VA instead? The answer is no, you cannot suspend your FEHB plan in that case, but you can cancel it and return to the FEHB program in a future open season. For employees who participate in premium conversion, eligibility for CHAMP VA or TRICARE is not a qualifying life event that would allow them to cancel the FEHB enrollment. Premium conversion is a program that allows federal employees to use pre-tax dollars to pay insurance premiums for the FEHB program. Check out our open season hotline. Head over to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Open Season Hotline. You can post a question there or call 844-305-1500. That's 844-305-1500. Send us your questions. We'll read the answers daily at 7 past the hour here on The Federal Drive. Well, the Biden administration has a new management agenda, or at least what it calls a vision for one, 45 pages of colored documents. The administration detailed three main priorities and several underlying strategies as part of the president's management agenda. Some might be familiar. Others have a slightly different take on goals that we might have seen in past PMAs. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now to walk us through that new agenda. Nicole, let's start with the document itself. It's 45 pages, a great big colorful PDF, but it's entitled A Vision for the PMA or the PMAV, PMAV, maybe we can call it. So is that the management agenda or is it more to come, do you think? So there's certainly more to come. That's what the administration said, that they would release more details, perhaps more specific goals underneath each of the priorities and strategies They said in the coming weeks and months, um, I think consistent with other administrations, they're planning on naming specific leaders to head up each priority and then each strategy and goal underneath that, and that they would provide regular progress reports on performance.gov. And that's pretty consistent with what we've seen from prior administrations. Sure. This great big flywheel just starting to spin up here. And they outlined three broad priorities, which I guess really weren't a surprise if you've been following the Biden administration. But just review those for us. That's right. So the first one is strengthening and empowering the federal workforce. The second is delivering excellent, equitable and secure federal services and customer experiences. And the third is managing the business of government to use this phrase to build back better. So those are the three. There are anywhere from two to four strategies underneath each of those priorities. And to just talk about the the federal workforce for a bit here, because that one is something that I've been covering uh, for quite a while now. But, you know, so the administration, I think on one hand, um, touches on some familiar themes with the federal workforce, but there are some clear differences in the document. The Biden administration talks about clearly needing to hire more people and hire faster and better, find more quality candidates. They talk about making every job a good job, which is a phrase that we hear quite often from this administration. They reference the ability to join a union as something that they believe is is part of that. And then they also talk about building a personnel system and the support around it to sustain the federal government and build sort of the capacity within the workforce to tackle some of these challenges. And I asked Jason Miller, who is the deputy director for management at the Office of Management and Budget, a little more about what that means. One of the things that we need to do is bring more people into public service. We need to bring more people 
earlier in the career in a public service. We needed to diversify the federal workforce at all levels, and there's a number of key skill areas that we're trying to hire for. In terms of our process for hiring, there are a number of reforms that we need to make, something like uh, how we qualify individuals through that process so that we can be nimble, so that we can get high-quality people through the process, and so that we can meet our needs. Right now, the process isn't delivering on that to the fullest extent. We're going to be making some changes. We already have some pilots underway. And that's the Deputy Director for Management at the OMB, Jason Miller. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. And did he talk about how they actually came up with these particular priorities and strategies? He did. Interestingly, he mentioned that the administration wanted to focus on a couple of different things. They didn't want to list a a ton of different goals and cross-agency priorities and all of that. And here's Miller again talking about what they were really after with this PMA. First, keep it simple. We need priorities that are broadly applicable and ensure that we can prioritize. Not dozens and dozens of new initiatives. Three core priorities with clear and straightforward strategies. Second, we need to connect our management priorities to the outcomes we are trying to achieve. Like any high-performing organization, how you operate and organize should be driven by what you are trying to deliver. Third, lead with values. Values that speak to the American people and are consistent with the president's expectation of the federal government as a model and a model employer. So that's Jason Miller, Deputy Director for Management at OMB. He spoke with reporters, and of course, this was a a conference call, and so he was on speakerphone. So that is uh, the reason behind the audio quality there. Sure. Maybe someday the White House will get that right, but it hasn't been so for the last several administrations. And, you know, Nicole, you and I have both read President's Management's Agendas. The first one I read carefully was George W. Bush a while ago. I'm not sure if the Clinton administration called it a management agenda. They had the National Partnership for Reinventing Government, which incorporated a lot of elements of a management agenda. But for the ones you've seen, do you see this one as different in some way? What stands out in your mind as the differences? So there are a couple of things. First is, I think, if you look at this document, some people would wonder, well, where is IT modernization in this? Um, That has been a specific sort of standalone priority for past administrations. It is not in this one. And Miller acknowledged that. He essentially said that IT is an enabler for us for this entire agenda. And if you read the vision document, you see it mentioned multiple times throughout. So it's not a specific standalone item here, unlike unlike past agendas. The other thing I would mention is just maybe a different lens that this administration is viewing some goals that are familiar. So on the workforce, what we saw with the Trump administration, um, you know, they identified the workforce as a, a goal, a priority in their agenda. The Trump administration, I think, focused on performance, especially perhaps the inabilities of the current system to hold poor performers to account. That was a specific priority that they addressed with the workforce. Here, we don't see that mentioned. It's more about, uh, you know, they use terms like empowering and strengthening the federal workforce. And, you know, they mentioned the ability to unionize and organize around that. The other thing I would mention is on the customer service front. That, again, has been a, a goal that we've seen prior administrations attempt to tackle. Here, I definitely think there's a different lens on that one. And 
they describe it in a way of having agencies try to focus on key life experiences that individuals, members of the public would interact with government on. Things like when you turn age 18, you might need to register to vote. You might be looking into schools and student loan options. You might be entering the military. On the other hand, at age 65, there are other experiences that you have with government. And so I think that is a bit of a different take on customer service. In the past, maybe we've seen the focus on individual transactions, and I think this administration is trying to move away from that. Well, there was a video during the Obama administration that they put out there at the White House showing someone being born and reaching the age of majority and reaching old age and tying that in. It was an animation tying that in with different government services. So in some ways, that's a revival of an idea that's been around, cradle-to-grave government. Yeah, and I think that goes back to, and the Partnership for Public Service just did a report on this, sort of the continued low trust in government scores that agencies have, especially compared to the private sector. And so I think the administration is trying to build on that and perhaps is recognizing that, okay, maybe, you know, redoing the veterans benefits process might score, you know, well on one hand with a specific group of people, but what about the bigger picture? Well, check it all out. We'll have it linked at federalnewsnetwork.com. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out her story also at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm. I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, 
the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. 
And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit shipped.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com slash holiday. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.